Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. Hey everybody, I'm John Vanderbilt, the executive pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, the executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady, I serve as senior pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in today to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. Morning, group. Hello. Morning, morning. Big announcement in services yesterday. Awesome. Yeah, it was fun. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it was fun to have good news. Uh, Steve, I thought it was fun here at uh, Glowing Bible Church just admitting the fact that a month ago he, pro- he, th- he was concerned we weren't make our goal, and um, it was a... It was a long six months, honestly, uh, of lots of hard work to get the word out and explain the nature of the vision and help people understand and get their arms around it. But praise God, I, um, he worked and worked in and through people and people gave. So I was super thankful. It was, a, it was fun. Yeah. I was more impressed with the budget <laughs> right. uh, yeah, deficit surplus. because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we pushed for the... Yeah. For reach, like that was in front of us right. for a long time. Like I kind of thought, well, if it doesn't happen in January, it might happen in February. If it doesn't happen in February, maybe May, maybe you know, it'll happen. But the budget thing, I yeah. kind of just thought, super thankful. Super. Wow. Someone asked me, so how did it go in December? Was it just people? And I was like, you know, it was great, but it really wasn't the month of December. It was really the last week from Christmas till the end of the year that people really started to contribute and make, you know, their donations to the year, to the, to the budget on the 31st, December 31, the last day of the fiscal year, we had $103,000 come into the budget in about a six hour period. Wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just wild. I mean, does that ever happen? Not like that. Past has that happened? Not like that. No, not, not, not that much in one short period of time, kind of the afternoon to evening of, uh, or, you know, kind of that, that later period on the 31st. <laughs> you know the saying, right? It God's, was wild. God is uh, never late, always on time. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I want to add something to it, like, and often last minute. <laughs> <laughs> I, just I don't know was, if that's God as much as as is the giver. Yeah, well. <laughs> People are trying to get their year in. It felt very dramatic. Yeah. Like, that. Yeah. It, at least for me personally, it felt like um, we were praying and hoping and talking waiting. and waiting yeah. and kind of going through this. And then to kind of have such a dramatic way was, was really God saying, got this and trust in me. And, you know, we need to be honest, God is good, even if we hadn't made budget. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Thank right. you for that reminder, yeah. as I'm sitting here thinking, we're behind. <laughs> we're behind. So I'm right. so happy for Glow and Bible, but no, just kidding. <laughs> How did Naomi's house do? We did fine. We had a fine year end. It wasn't our strongest, but okay. it does leave, for me, it's always hard to not to equate or not equate the successfulness of what we're doing to how well we are doing financially. Yeah. It's a tricky, it's a tricky thing when it falls to you as your responsibility. It's hard to, you know, you feel like you're doing everything right when your budget's on, but that's actually not true. You know, it can, and the reverse can happen as well where 
Yeah. We're doing really well right now, and it's a slow fundraising year. It's so. not dissimilar to fa- family finances. Mm. Uh, there is there can be a roller coaster in family finances, and um, in the in the head of the household, whoever's in charge of the you know the family finances, it's a it's a bad habit to ride the roller coaster mm-hmm. of. God's with me, God's not with me, God's yeah. with me, God's not with me. When right. finances, the truth is he'll never leave us or forsake us. Yeah. And he's growing us and stretching us and building our faith. And I'll be honest, it's a tricky thing, I think, of you too, in your role of raising funds for Naomi's house at times, probably more time than you want to put to it. I mean, it's 90% of my <laughs> yeah, job. So, right, yeah. right. <laughs> There's this balance of when you lay your head on your pillow at night going, did I do enough? Mm-hmm. And at the same time going, it's not really about me. Yeah. And yet going, I need to be disciplined. Mm-hmm. I need to be diligent. I need to keep telling the story. But it's not really mm-hmm. about us That's right. to, you know, to the congregation. Yeah. You know, we, we can make the announcements and we can get it out in front of people. Mm-hmm. But it's not really, there's this tension in there, yeah. I feel like, of... God has to move hearts. Right. Yeah. And he has... And, was saying, and we have to communicate the vision that's out there mm-hmm. and the, the mission that's mm-hmm. happening the in why. order to, mm-hmm. yeah, in order to activate mm-hmm. someone's heart a little, you know. And, and hearts these days are a little bit harder to move. Have you bought some free-range yeah. eggs lately? <laughs> <laughs> wow. seven ninety nine for 12 eggs. 12 eggs in my house last one day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I had a friend say to me, he goes, remember, remember back in the day when we could throw eggs and toilet paper at people's houses? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now we just throw $100 like, bills. That ain't happening anymore. Exactly. <laughs> throw some iPods. Hey, have you guys uh, done any, have y'all ever read George Mueller? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, so Mueller. Never asked anybody, that guy. Right, yeah. he had the posture. He ran an orphanage in, England in the uh, 19th century, and he had a posture of he refused to ask anybody for money. All he would do is pray. And if you're looking for a biography to read of a, a person of just devout faith, courageous faith, it's read something on George Mueller's life. Um, I'm not saying his way is the only way. I, I actually think it, I think it's valuable to put the vision out there. We're inviting people to be a part of what God's doing. But he did have, he was full of faith, and we could all use that as well. (laughs) Mother Teresa was the same way. She would only operate on what she had. So she wasn't, which is very contrary to what we do as leaders today. We're we're casting the vision, and then we ask people to come alongside and support it. Mm -hmm. Not that that's wrong, right? As long as women are being exploited, I've... I have to Let's talk about where we're going. Right. Yeah, if we vision. want to end the issue or not. But at the same time, yeah. um, it, it, I, I felt the same way when, when reading her. It wasn't a strategy. It was just what what the Lord provides is, I, is what I use to minister mm-hmm. to people, mm-hmm. which is encouraging. Mm-hmm. It does take a lot of faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we actually have several questions today, so... We should get busy. Yeah, let's get into it. First one up. Uh, this is for uh, 501 Hillside. The singing was super, I guess you could say, expressive on Sunday in the second service. Was it that way in both services? What do you think of people yelling out, even in excitement? Yeah, so let's explain. If you weren't in second service, there was, it was, I described it, it was a little raucous. For Glen Bible Church. For Glen Ellen Bible Church. <laughs> yeah, we'll qualify it. You're not going to mistakenly think you are in a charismatic church. Right, right. It's not raucous for other some churches but for global bible church it's, yeah. it was raucous and there were people just uh, celebrating is a 
is what I'd say. And there were people in first service too. I don't know if you remember. Both services were very expressive yesterday, which I love. I actually think Long Bible Church uh, could use that. Uh, I think that's valuable. Um, and so, and people, the only thing I, it, it was that way in both services. It, um, I like it when people are excited in worship, particularly there are some, uh, some lyrics in some songs that we sing that seem to really resonate with our congregation and they yeah. want to express yeah. their gratitude, their excitement for what God has done. Yeah. And, and this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, right. shall not faint. Like when we sing that, mm-hmm. when, when a group of, of mm-hmm. Christians sing that together, man, I just, I feel like I, something has to come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I just have to celebrate. Okay. And I, I like the excitement because um, singing together and, and, and raising our voices and engaging our bodies in that effort helps us get ready for living out in the world. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel free to express yourself in a gathering of a couple hundred believers while singing, then you're going to find it very difficult to express yourself out in the world uh, when you're at work or at school. You're going to be less demonstrable in your faith. And so it's a great time to stretch the boundaries of your expressiveness. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think the pushback you know people have of growing up in a more conservative culture and church. The frozen chosen? Yeah. People push back on, you know, well, I don't like people raising their hands in worship or I don't like, you know, the kind of the shouting out or whatever is the, the pushback is that draws attention to themselves, mm. right? Like we should be putting all the focus and all the attention on God. So when we raise our hands at people's eyes, shoot over and look at us or when we yell you have a out, question, sir, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you only have to raise one hand. <laughs> you got a question. You have to put both up. Um, and so I get that at one level that there can be a uh, selfish or a, look, I want to show everybody how holy I am or, you know, th- that sort of thing. Yep. I did not get the sense of that on, no. on Sunday morning. I have been in gatherings where I have got that sense before where somebody's showy. just really trying to draw attention to themselves, being really expressive or, or Almost whatever. a competition in worship. Yeah, Who can like, be the most expressive? Yeah, look how holy yeah, totally. I am and yeah. that kind of thing. And, and I, think, I think there is a... a if we started to see and experience that or have felt that in our, our church, I think we would address it. I, yeah. But I didn't yeah. get that sense on, on Sunday. And when you see the, the numbers of people being more expressive than, than traditionally, yeah. then you, you, know, you kind of know, oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, We're I would all say, in on too, this. For, um, if, if you are at a Bears game and... There's not much to celebrate at the... <laughs> and Justin Fields <laughs> takes it to the house and runs a 95-yard touchdown run. Is, is it drawing attention to yourself to go, oh my, did you see that? Yeah. That was amazing. Woo! Yeah. Is that, is that me drawing attention to myself? It could be. No. No, of course not. It's, you no, you, you saw something. No, no, no. I'm going somewhere with this. You saw something that was so amazing that the com- and, and it brought you so much joy that the completion of the joy is to outwardly express and praise it. Yeah. That, that is the completion of the feeling and emotion that you have inside. Totally. The people who are maybe drawing attention to themselves are the folks who come with head to toe. 
in a bear I mean, like, like, like dressed just, as a bear dressed as a bear like you know like, that yeah. might be you know um yeah i just i had a few thoughts we should also yeah, go oh, go ahead. We should also say that there are some people that will never uh, cry out in worship. I mean, Sherry's not going to do that, my wife. She's, she's going to be more composed, and that's okay. She's, uh, she is expressive, but in her own way to her own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just feel like we need to give people the benefit of the doubt in a yeah, situation totally. like this. Like, if yeah. the spirit moves and people respond yeah. differently, that that's, that's what makes the church diverse and beautiful. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess there's always that one who is doing it for the wrong reasons. or yeah. doing, But that's really their problem. Yeah, exactly. Like, totally. That, Agreed. You know? 100%. Yep. Yeah. I think it's good to live in the tension, though, too. I think if you're not doing that, there's nothing wrong with asking yourself, is it, am I just not that kind of yeah. person? Or am I actually... Am I just kind of a stick in the mud in worship? Yeah. Like, am I doing something that is not allowing me to express? Like, right. maybe you have some past stuff you need to go through. Maybe you... Or I, the, the I response mean, of, it makes me feel uncomfortable when, it's, when people are acting that way or right. doing that. Well, I, I think it's a great opportunity to say, why? You kinda, okay, exactly. let's go into that. Like, right. ask yourself, it, are you going to land somewhere that's actually um, healthy? Yeah. Maybe you will. I don't know. But I think it's a great opportunity just to be like, what? Why do I not like that so much? Why do I have a problem with that? Is that, I think it's a good place mm-hmm. to go into. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think um, we all have seen the videos <laughs> of complete uncontrolled chaos. Yeah, right. right in worship. Right. In yeah. worship. Yeah. Of, of churches that are on the other spectrum compared with our church. Yeah. You don't see a lot of Bible churches acting this way, but you, other churches acting where it does look like a frenzied chaos. And a frenzied chaos, I would not call worship worshipful. I would just call it a frenzied chaos. And so I get like, we don't want to be moving in that direction, you know, but this feels like another. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in a charismatic church. We're nowhere close. (laughs) Right, right, right. But we don't have to be on polar opposites. There can be a healthy middle. Middle. Yeah. Yeah. All right. uh, Next one up. It seems unrealistic that we would face persecution all the time. Is that what you were implying? Maybe I'm misunderstanding. Yeah, I am not implying that persecution is, is a steady stream of experiences in our life. I believe that persecution comes in waves, most likely, and that there are long seasons when we may not have any sense of hardship because of the gospel ministry or mission or persecution. Uh, you know, not even Paul was persecuted all the time. So there's certain, I would say there's an ebb and flow to it. it uh, in my life, it, it depends on um, circumstances that I move in and out of, people that I'm getting to know that type of thing. Uh, and I should also say that persecution can range. It, it's not all, on a scale of one to 10, it's an all 10. So, some persecution is a fairly light, passing, fleeting moment, hardship, where you know someone gives you the side eye because you bring Jesus up in a conversation. You know, we, that, it doesn't even register really. Other persecution can be mild or it can be harsh. I had a guy once in a locker room come at me. He did not want me talking about Jesus in the locker room. I wasn't even talking to him, but he came across the locker room wow. at me. The good news is he was 80. And, and so I, I didn't. So you handled so it? So you had no <laughs> problem dealing with him then. So, so, so I, you could outrun him? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't feel terribly you know, intimidated by it. But it was funny in, in this setting, I was talking about Jesus to another man. This 80-year-old comes across the locker room. Why are you bringing that in here? Just really 
Why can't you keep it to yourself? Wow. That type of thing. And a third guy, so I'm talking to number one. The, the, the second guy comes across the locker room attacking me, and a third guy enters in to stand down the 80-year-old. Wow. I mean, it, the wow. locker room it's was really up for grabs. Changes yeah. the narrative around yeah. locker room talk. So. <laughs> was this pre or post-workout? This, this is Wheaton. Yeah, I, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I... I don't think that it, I think there's an ebb and flow to our experiences. You just said it was certain. You didn't yeah, say it, it was it's gonna continuous. Happen if we're living godly You life. said it was certain. Yeah, yeah. I also think, it, and someone brought this up afterwards, um, I also think it's the case that we need to be careful in labeling every experience we have out in public that is uh, difficult relationally as persecution for the gospel's mm-hmm. sake. Sometimes uh, I just have really low relational IQ. Um, and I draw the ire of somebody. And so this, <clears throat> so I, I think that we need to be really careful. Uh, some Christians, and, and including myself, sometimes we're just hard to get along with. It has nothing to do with the gospel. And we just draw fire from people. And we need to be careful there that, that we're not labeling as persecution um, what's really just our orneriness. We also have to keep this into some perspective, right? I mean, what we face in DuPage County yeah. is persecution versus, and you said this. Am I okay? I'm not doing it right. I was burping. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good I, she was talking and I leaned away from the microphone. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? Because I had to burp. Like signals like, don't say it or <laughs> talk louder. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what you were saying. Okay, I had to burp and I was adjustion. trying to. Got anyway, it. what were you saying? We need- I was just saying to keep it into perspective. I mean, yeah. I don't feel like I've ever faced persecution when you compare it to the secret underground churches yeah. all over the world right. that right, are right, right, right. literally their lives are at stake right. for sharing the gospel and for me, it's more like, am I just being bold or am I being a coward? I, didn't, I don't know. I, yeah. Have you ever hung out, y'all probably have, with someone who's really suffered for the gospel? David Bile. Yeah. I, I visit, David's been, was arrested several times in Turkey. I mean, there's jokes about Turkish prison, prisons. Well, he spent months in Turkish prisons for the gospel because he wouldn't stop preaching on the streets of Istanbul. He had uh, people hit him with sticks, throw rocks at him while he's preaching, open air preaching. And so I went to visit him in Istanbul and was just his level of courage on mm-hmm. the streets of Istanbul. Um, it, it, was, it was a ride just yeah. to be with him. It was just, it was like nothing I'd ever experienced. So mm-hmm. you're right. Yes. Well, and I should say there are people who persecution just for me, I automatically think of like a violent or some, some, some sort of like um, intense level of treatment, but I do think there are people, I'm thinking of several, who maybe have shared the gospel at work, and then they get... Passed over. Yeah, passed over or shamed or pigeonholed. And so I do think there are different, maybe, kinds of persecution that we would face here versus somewhere overseas where it's a little bit more... Well, and I... There are... uh, We need to... There's persecution that happens in marriages in our county. Mm. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is one person... One spouse is uh, growing in their devotion and passion for Jesus, and the other spouse doesn't like it. Mm. Um, it, it, It's not simply those who are in spiritually mismatched marriages. That is, a a believer and a non-believer. Persecution happens there, for sure. Uh, But sometimes a a revival will happen in one spouse's life, and the other spouse doesn't like it. Um, On on all types of issues, like how we're going to spend our money, or how we're going to spend our free time, or what we find entertaining. Um, and 
that's a that's a real issue. Right. Difficulties in marriages because of a devotion for Jesus. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, let's go to the next one. How do we live as sheep among wolves without constantly playing the victim? It's mm. a good question. Yeah. So the scripture is Matthew ten sixteen. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And then he coaches them. He gives them some um, coaching on how to get this done. He says, therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So be wise is what he's saying without being sinful. Shrewd as snakes, be wise in the world without being sinful in your strategies. Um, so I, I think it is really important that we not adopt a victim's posture when we're suffering for the gospel, but that we be honest with ourselves. This is a life we've willingly chosen. We've, we're picking up our cross. Um, we're carrying our cross. Um, this is a life we've chosen, and we know that the world isn't going to be excited about this. So I think it's a great question, um, and we need to work hard to avoid a victim's mentality the scripture I use in this case is James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I actually think we need to, to have a posture of joy, and um, sometimes evangelists will use the word whimsy. There needs to be a lightheartedness about us, which is fueled by a faith that God is greater than anything that we're going to face uh, here in the world. I, there's a, there's a, a really unattractive victim's mentality that is popular in American culture right now among Christians, where we're the victim's card, like how dare the government treat Christians this way or, um, Mm -hmm. fear-based a lot of times. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, fear of, you know, we're on the slippery slope here. We're not going to get the rights that we deserve in a democratic society. How dare they treat us this way? And I think that we need to avoid a kind of a victim's mentality and consider things and be joyful that God's with us, that he'll finish the work he started and, and that the difficulties we're facing are part of the process of us becoming mature, complete. Hey, Glen Ellen Bible Church and Poplar Creek Church. If you are trying the 21 days of prayer and fasting, I just want to encourage you in that effort. I want to let you know that 21 days is long enough to to have a sense of failure as well as a sense of success. So if you tried fasting and it didn't go well, try again and reboot the effort. We have about another eight days or so to go through January 31st. And we'd love to encourage you to cultivate that discipline. Remember that when you're fasting, uh, don't just go without food or your favorite foo-foo drink. Also, fasting is, is made to create space to pray. So fast and pray. Okay, let's go to the next one. Can all suffering produce godliness in our lives? Or is it only suffering directly related to the gospel proclamation? It's a good question. It is a good question. I, I typically think, have y'all, I, it's, I think it's John Piper who says something like, don't waste your cancer. I don't know if he had a sermon on that. He had cancer. And so it was from John Piper, I started thinking about, gosh, anything we meet with that's difficult in the world, 
is an opportunity for growth. It, it may be directly related to gospel proclamation as someone pushes back and, and gives us difficulties, but it, it may be as simple as just moving through life and when we experience something that's difficult, it's an opportunity for growth. So I typically take Hebrews 12 verse 7 into account. There the author says, endure hardship as discipline. So any hardship that comes your way, endure hardship as discipline. God's treating you as children. That is letting you go through difficulty for what children, he says, are not disciplined by their father. So the the picture here is of our heavenly father allowing us to go through hardships so that we can grow, so that we can go on to maturity. So all suffering, in my estimation, has the potential to produce godliness, and we should embrace it. And that's not to say that we should be eager to suffer or look for opportunities to suffer or put ourselves in suffering's way. Yeah. Uh, but fasting, to a degree, is a self-imposed difficulty. Mm-hmm. So that, and we're in, a, we're in a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting, so that so that we can draw near to God, so that it can expose elements of our character that need f- maturing uh, his, his uh, spirit's work in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of suffering that, um, even suffering that comes to us because we live in a world that is broken, fallen, Just sin- part sinful, of the normal that, yeah, course. The horrible things that can happen to us because, you know, of the world that we live in and the presence of sin, even that... Um, should move us as followers of Christ. You know, a tragic event that happens because of of sin in the world can draw us to God for our the only source of true comfort. Mm-hmm. So even in suffering that we would never want, that we would never ask for, that comes from just the darkest thing. You know, a, a Piper, you bring it up, tells us tells a uh, uses the example of your child getting hit by a drunk driver and. And dying. And where do you go when that suffering comes to your doorstep? Where's the redeeming value to be? Where do you go? What's your? How do you think of 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 God? Um, and then and then He can be your your source of of comfort in that. So, I would stand with you in saying that all suffering, no matter where it comes from or or you know what it uh, what it involves, there's an element in there that it can be used by God to strengthen us and and draw us closer to him lots of times i'll meet with people at a pastoral level and they'll ask me uh did i do something to deserve this Mm. and that's a it's a really common question did i bring this down on my own head (laughs) or why is god allowing me and i often encourage people you can spend some time and energy figuring out if trying wrestling with did i do something that caused this suffering like the sin enter your life? Did you right. do something? Is it a consequence of my poor decision making right. or my my sinful lifestyle? That there is some value in that, but I also think uh, that we can live at peace. That the Lord will show us, tell us, grow us. He'll make it evident to us what we need to learn. More than anything, I I focus my energies on uh, leaning on Jesus during times of suffering. Yeah. That's how I think about it. Is it does it draw you in near to God or does it not? And I think it's pretty common for folks who have chronic suffering to maybe have seasons um, where you, man, you just you, you just have a great dependence on God. You're drawing in and near to God, and then there's other times where you're like, we've been praying for this for years, and the suffering persists. And then it's sometimes you can let your heart get hardened mm-hmm. and 
you know, I mean, the good thing is God is good and he, he can... He cares for us even when He cares for happens. us even when we do that. He can handle that. Um, but I think that's one example of where you, you could maybe say, yeah, I could see that this suffering is not producing in me um, what what the Lord has for me if I'm pushing him away right now. Mm. Like he wants you to draw near to him. And We've been doing Sunday evening prayer meetings during this season of prayer and fasting. Our next one is next Sunday evening. Uh, that'd be the evening of the 29th, and we go from 6 to 7. It's an hour here at the church, and we had somebody at the prayer meeting last night share just that, that they were going through a time, and they felt as though their heart was growing hard, and we gathered around this person and prayed for them, that, yeah. that they would receive the suffering, endure the suffering, and, uh, and have a sense of God's goodness to them and care for them. Yeah. And what a great model that is. Like, it sounds like that somebody was recognizing I'm, I'm, oh, super entering, transparent. I'm entering into this, yeah. into this state where my heart is getting hardened. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing that that's the path I'm going down. Would you pray for me? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Instead of just allowing that path to, to play it out, to play out. And then, you know, right. Then it may be too late uh, for a while yeah. to, to ask out for well, prayer, to reach do, out for prayer. <laughs> when that happens in my life, so when hardship enters and I respond poorly, it I often move towards other sins, and I, I add sure. complications to my life. Yeah. <laughs> and now I've got hardship, and I'm yeah. entangled in sin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the lies that you know you can tell yourself when you're in that state are just like, well, what, what's the matter? Nothing matters. I might as well do this. <laughs> right. Might as well go here. <laughs> you know, like you just... You get it's just a mind, you right. know. Right. Oh man! So you know, how how good is it for someone to recognize mm. the tendencies, mm-hmm. to recognize the path, and to say, "I do not want." I re- I recognize that I'm feeling compelled to go down that. I don't want to go down that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you guys to pray for me. Mm. That's powerful. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's let's go to the next one. Uh, sometimes Paul avoided persecution, like when he left Iconium because of rumors that they might stone him. Other times Paul put himself in harm's way, like when he revisited the city of Lystra where he was stoned. How do we know which to do and when? This is a stumper. It's an absolute stumper. If you if you follow Paul's movements, and we're going to be over the next few weeks in and out of towns, um, it's a little hard to, to discern... Um, when he knows or why he makes the decisions he makes. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 16, we hear clearly from Luke, the author of the book of Acts, that the Spirit actually prevented Paul from going into Bithynia. He had plans to go in, and the Spirit closes that door. We don't know exactly what that looked like, that the Spirit closed the door, prevented uh, Paul from doing that. But um, we do know that Luke recognized it as the Spirit's work, preventing Paul from going to this place or to that place and, and the group that was with Paul from going. I, <clears throat> so it is clear that sometimes, like in Iconium, Paul gets out of town. He, he leaves in order to avoid a plot that was growing uh, in an effort uh, to, to stone him. He, he avoids the pain of that persecution. But in Lystra, he boldly preaches and ends up getting stoned. So I'm not sure what to make of all that. And then he turns around and, and goes back after finishing ministry in Derby. He goes back to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, the places where he had met with such aggression. What are we to make of that when he goes back to it? Is he seeking that out again? And all I know to say there is we need in our lives a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's leadership so that we don't dodge difficulties he wants us to endure, 
and so that we don't uh, arrogantly enter into persecutions, he doesn't have planned for us. Sometimes our flesh can get caught up in, look at all the hardship I'm enduring. In fact, in the early church, uh, so I'm talking uh, the first century and the second century, uh, perhaps it went on into the third century, I, just, I remember reading accounts of m martyrs' parades. And so there was so much widespread persecution against Christians under Roman rule that um, they would actually show up and parade martyrs through town, and Christians would cheer on those that were headed towards the stake. And, and so there was this odd pride about being martyred. And guys, being martyred is not the goal. It may be an outcome, but it's not the goal. The goal is to be faithful and to preach the gospel. Um, and so we, we, need to not, we need to make sure that we don't arrogantly look for persecution. And this all requires a real sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. I liked um, how you touched on this in the, in the message, and I was trying to think of um, some modern-day applications. And so I appreciate the fact that this person's asking, how do we know, what, what, you know which, which to do and when? Um, I was really struck by the, the, the scripture that says that Paul went back to Lystra. And I think you just said it so perfectly that it wasn't um, because he was looking to get stoned again. He was looking to, um, he was just trying to be obedient to the spirit. And yeah. so in that moment, we're just trusting and based on Paul's history of what we see in scripture is that that's who he was. He was in touch with the Holy Spirit. And um, for, for whatever reason, that, that phrase jumped out at me and I was thinking about it in, in context of, of Naomi's house and the women we work with. And we talk a lot about how it takes a lifetime to heal from sexual trauma and exploitation. Um, but then there are times where women graduate our programs and they move on. And we are seeing, as we're an older and older organization now, that they're continuing to struggle at times, mm. um, which is, I don't think, rare to hear or about. Or surprising, Or right? surprising, right. exactly. Um, but there, but the, the phrase, Paul went back, somehow I was trying to connect and I've shared this with you, so I'm not sure it's fully formed thought in my head yet, but <laughs> I was trying to connect, what does that look like for ministry leaders or, or mm -hmm. people who are missionaries or whatever, you know, wherever your context is? Um, and for me, I wondered, do we go back as an organization or as a philosophy of care? Do we, when we say that it takes a lifetime of healing, it takes a lifetime to heal. That journey really never ends. Um, there's progress for sure, and we celebrate that, but the journey is always there. Um, where I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking through and I, I want to process a little bit more, where does that look like to go back and to be fully committed to a person or, um, a journey somebody's on and, and how does that relate to us? Like the, those of us who are in leadership and in ministry and seeing this example from Paul that he felt that leading from the spirit to go back, knowing there was risk involved, knowing there would be a cost involved, um, knowing that it might not look great on his annual report. You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> right. honestly thinking about all the implications of decisions that we make um, as leaders. And I think you just said it so well. And, and that's my takeaway even now is just, I need to be in prayer about that and what implications it has, because I do think there is something stirring in me that says we're, we need to stay committed to the women we serve, even when they're beyond our programming and what that looks like. Um, I don't know. So that phrase, he went back is really just... It's jumping out at me. The shepherding you guys do, it would be tempting to say, you're graduated. Mm -hmm. See you in glory. Right. You know, 
And you would never have a, a posture of washing your hands of somebody, but you have, what I hear you wrestling with is mm-hmm. an acknowledgement that shepherding is messy and unpredictable. And, you know, in, in the in prison world, they talk about recidivism. Mm-hmm. And I would assume mm-hmm. that there are bad habits that are really hard mm-hmm. and circumstances that are triggering right. for women coming out of the, this type of trauma. And, um, and I, I could see why you would have to weigh how to shepherd long term, mm-hmm. how, how to do that best. Right. And I know I, I recognize it's not a direct correlation to what's happening in Acts in this passage, but oh, there was I just. Would, if I'm Paul, I'm weighing the, the, the risk reward. Exactly. And the long term shepherding, right? right? Because right. he's not just trying to um, boost his numbers. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> For his annual report. Right. <laughs> To Jerusalem, <laughs> which we're coming to soon. Yeah. Acts 15. All right, let's go to the last one. When something good happens, how do I know God was involved? For example, if I have a financial need and someone gives me money, how do I know if I can say God did that? Man, if it's good, God did it. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's just that simple for me. If it's good, then God did it. Now, he did it through somebody, Um but it's it's God, and C.S. Lewis famously answered the problem of evil with the problem of good. So people would say to him, "How can there be a good God if there's evil in the world that continues?" And he would say, "Well, if there's only e- if there's evil in the world, how do we explain anything that's good that happens outside there being a good God?" And so I just man, in fact, in in. In Acts 14, last week's passage, verse 17, Paul is telling the Lystrans, he's trying to urge them to believe, and they're wanting to offer sacrifices to him as if he's Zeus and Hermes, and he says, no, 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 don't offer sacrifice, we're humans just like you are, but I'm trying to tell you about a God, he says, who's not left himself without testimony. And then he says, this God has shown kindness to you, giving you rain from heaven and crops for your seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. In other words, you don't even know who this God is and he's caring for you. He's been good to you. So I would say to the question asker, anything that's good that happens in my life is a result of the the activity of God in my life. James chapter 1 verse 16, every good every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. So anything that's good in the world is a result of the person of God invading our reality. Yeah, I think it, um, our theology of um, how involved is God in our lives, right? And Job talks about every breath I, that he takes is a gift from God. Every breath we he's breathe sustaining is, us. He sustains yeah. us even to the, I think he actually talks about, Paul talks about in Colossians at some point too, maybe. But anyway. Well, um, in him we live and move and have our being. Right? Yeah. So if we believe that at the most micro level of our existence, I mean, even when we're not awake, we're breathing, like we're not volitionally going, <gasps> you know, like God's sustaining us even when we're asleep. So if we believe that every single part of our being is held together, sustained, created um, by him, then certainly as we move about the, the world and things are happening to us, we know that even if we feel like we willed something to happen or we created it, well, we know that the source of that, the strength that we have or the the 
problem-solving ability that we have in our brain, it's because that's how God knit us together and made us unique and gave us those gifts. So I think that if, if something like, you know, something good happens to you, certainly we see God all over it. So anyway, good work today, everybody. Yeah, good podcast. All right, that's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him, and our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us, and thank you listeners for tuning into the next level. Boom! Prophecy.